Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, even Russian President Vladimir Putin wouldn't want to annex it. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from a hot and steamy Concord, North Carolina, and getting on an airplane on Thursday and heading to even hotter and drier, much drier, Las Vegas, Nevada for the IPCPR. But in tonight's show... In Pipe Parts, we're going to talk about Preben Home. Yes, the Preben Home pipe maker, Danish freehands. We'll go back and hit a little bit of history on him. My guest tonight, pipe maker Scotty Pearsall. Uh, music, got a pipe smoker and a, uh, and a classic guitar player. And mailbag and rant, and I promise in the mailbag I'll get caught up on everything from, uh, from the past couple of weeks that I didn't quite get caught up on obviously uh meanwhile has anybody else noticed it seems like the uh the extra cold winter has meant that this has been a late blooming spring or early blooming summer uh finally some of our flowers and some of our plants at home are finally coming around and and blooming now at the same time our grass is burned up because when we were gone for a week nobody wa- nobody was watering it which is fine because if nobody waters it it doesn't have to get mowed. We still had it mowed while we were gone but you know it just doesn't grow like crazy and we haven't had a lot of rain lately. But I'm just noticing that some of our flowers and some of our plants are really just finally waking up and normally Normal springtime for us, I'd start seeing a whole bunch of flowers in uh, early May, mid-May, but this year, seems like everything's kind of dragging behind, and maybe that's got me confused as to what time of the year it is, but... Oh, and uh, yesterday we had two deer walk right down the driveway in front of our office here, so that was kind of fun. Uh, Maybe they're having a late spring, too, and they were uh, going off to have a little fun in the middle of the day. All right, enough of that. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, We live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. Eck, I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fullnoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fullnoggins.com. Fullnoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fullnoggins.com. We are back, and uh, Kevin just told me that I sound tired. Yeah, I just realized I'm I'm exhausted getting ready for the trade show, coming back from vacation, getting all the stuff done around the house. Plus, it's been a little warm around here, and I'm not complaining, not complaining. But anyway, we haven't talked a lot about freehand pipes, so I thought I'd talk about who I consider to be the uh, the preeminent freehand pipe maker, the first one. 
Preben home. Uh, and I went to pipedia.org, which you can go to and read the article that Preben home wrote about himself. And uh, Preben was born in 1947 in Copenhagen, and his father owned a store. And in the store, they had they sold pipes and tobaccos, amongst other things. But according to the story, at 12, 13, 14 years old, Preben took a liking to the tobacco section of the store, and his father was a relatively strict fellow and didn't allow Preben to smoke cigarettes, but said that a pipe was okay. So by 14 years old or so, Preben was interested in pipe smoking and also decided that he didn't want to go to school anymore. So he uh, dropped out of school and worked for his father's business, and his father made him go through some extra training. But by 16 years old, Preben was making some pipes for his store and for his father's store, and then uh, was making pipes also for the Pipe Dan store, another uh, well-known name in the, uh, in the Danish pipe world. Uh, pipe Dan was the number one retailer of pipes in Denmark and uh, probably in Europe for a while there. Uh, but anyway, Preben also had, yeah, he was a little bit of an outside-of-the-box guy and was making traditional shaped pipes and then decided one day that he had such a pretty block of wood that he was just going to follow the grain. And according to him, that was how... He started making freehand pipes. Uh, the business takes off, and the freehand pipes go from, you know, being uh, the traditional pipes being sold for twenty to forty Danish kroner, which would be the equivalent of uh, about eight eight dollars now, or eight U.S. dollars, to selling for five hundred kroner, which would be a lot more. Uh, but he perfected that freehand style, and the basic idea of the freehand was to take the block of wood and follow the grain all the way out to the plateau of it and accentuate the natural beauty of the grain and the natural beauty of the block of wood. Uh, it was in the 60s that a guy named Lon Schwartz, and I actually met Lon, I ran into him in a cigar manufacturer. Uh, Lon was in... Denmark on a buying trip. Lon owned a smoke shop in St. Thomas, and Lon saw these gorgeous pipes that Preben Holm was making, and Lon asked about buying some. So the little tiny smoke shop that Lon owned in St. Thomas became the only spot in the United States where you could buy a Preben Holm pipe. Uh, Preben Holmes' business started building up, and at one point when he was 22 years old, he employed about 45 people working for him, making both uh, traditional shapes and freehands. And he realized that uh, being the artistic type and kind of the uh, edgy person that he was, he really didn't like doing the, uh, the traditional shapes. He just didn't like it. So scaled back the business and just wanted to do the freehands and scaled the business back. Now, with scaling it back, they were able to produce more freehands, improve the quality of the freehands by being more selective with the briar, and so on and so on. And at that point, he was able to produce more pipes than what Lon could sell in the Virgin Islands and what one guy or one retailer in Japan could sell. So... They started looking around for another distributor. There was another distributor that came in that took over the Preben Home line in the United States, and unfortunately that distributor fell on financial hard times. And here's where the Ben Wade brand becomes or gets created because the uh, biggest pipe and tobacco distributor at that point was Lane Limited. So... Preben goes to Herman Lane and has a meeting with him and talks about it. And they were a little worried about using the Preben home name because of the agreement that still was in place with this intermediate distributor between uh, between Lane Limited and between uh, and Lon Schwartz. The uh, 
Herman Lane owned the rights to the uh, to the Ben Wade name and said, well, why don't you produce them under Ben Wade? So for the U.S., they were Ben Wades. For the rest of the world, they were Preben Holmes. A couple of years later, the other that intermediary, uh, the intermediate distributor goes out of business completely, and then you see Preben Holmes come back into the United States. Uh, Preben was always focused on quality over quantity, wanted the best of the woods, the best of materials for the pipes, never really focused on making the most money. Uh, at one point, he uh, realized that he had you know 20-something employees working for him and decided at that point that he wanted to hire somebody to handle the export business so that he could just stay and watch the factory. And then the sign of the times hit. And if you remember what I've said about the dark days of the pipe world in the United States in particular, in the mid-80s, all the smoke shops were in malls and all the malls started to go non-smoking. Pipe sales were dwindling faster and faster. Cigar sales were almost non-existent. And the mall smoke shops were kind of disappearing. At the same time, the Preben Home brand and Ben Wade kind of disappeared. Uh, Preben ended up shutting down the business in 1985 when it was no longer profitable. He tried a little bit of a comeback but then had some health issues and unfortunately he died at the very young age of 42 in 1989. But we can thank Preben Home for really giving birth to what we call the standard freehand pipe, which... We have a lot of free hands made on the market right now. So there's a little bit of background on Preb and Home. Uh, take a look at some of the pipes you'll see on the estate market. They're gorgeous pieces of wood. All right, in just a minute, Scotty Pearsall will be on the phone with me. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutlifTobacco.com. Go to SutlifTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I am happy to have joining us. Uh, I don't want to say lady pipe maker because it doesn't matter. You're a pipe maker, pipe smoker who just happens to be female at the same time. But please welcome Scotty Pearsall, pipe maker. Uh, thanks, Brandon. It's, it's good to be here. Um, looking forward to our chat. So tell everybody, where'd you grow up? I grew up in a little itty bitty town in uh, south central ish Missouri called Lakeway. Uh, looks like Lackey on the sign. Um, but I, I, I grew up in the sticks. I'm a country girl. Is that kind of close to the Ozarks? It is, uh, right in the middle of the Ozarks, um, just three or four miles from Fort Leonard Wood, uh, for those uh, military personnel amongst us. Did you own shoes growing yeah, up? Yes, I did, but my grandma didn't when she was little. You know, she's got the um, walk to school uphill both ways, you know, their knee-deep snow stories. <laughs> so how did you get started smoking a pipe oh my husband got into cigars i guess it's been about three years ago now and um in may two years ago he, he said he you know he remembered his dad smoking a pipe when he was little and he might you know go to the uh, go to outlaw cigar up here and uh buy a pipe 
you know, he, he has fond memories of, you know, sneaking around the corner and watching his dad work in, at night at his desk, uh, smoking a pipe. So he thought he might take up the hobby. And uh, it was close enough to Father's Day that I thought, that's a perfect gift. I'm sure I can get online and find a carve-it-yourself pipe. And uh, so I I did some search, and, and I found uh, Mark Tinsky's website, and I ordered my first pre-drilled kit from him. Um, and I made something that resembles a pipe that was supposed to be a billiard uh, for my husband, Heath, you know, two years ago for Father's Day. Now, did, had you worked with wood before? Did you have any aptitude for this, or was this just a jump in the dark here? Uh, you know, I, I took shop class in all four years of high school. Um, I turned a bat my junior year on a lathe. My senior year, I made a gun cabinet, but I grew up in an auto body shop. Um, my, it was my grandpa's business. My dad built street rods, uh, working with your hands. Just, it comes naturally for me. It, it runs in the family. So you didn't have the real, uh, girly upbringing of, uh, dresses and makeup and Barbie dolls. No, no, that's my younger sister. Um, <laughs> I've got, uh, 17 first cousins on my dad's side of the family. I'm the fifth one and the first girl. So I've got four older boy cousins, and those are the kids that I went and played with. I was out climbing trees and playing sports, and, um, you know, I, I was the tomboy. <laughs> so for the idea of you just getting a pipe carving kit and trying to figure out how to make a pipe out of it was no big deal. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with... Uh, well, I was already familiar, I'll say it that way, uh, you know, with all the, the tools that I used for that first uh, pipe. Um, you know, I had a little coping saw and, you know, some files, uh, stuff that I could squirrel away out of sight. And, and when I carved that one, we were fin we were starting to finish the basement. Um, and my husband did all that work himself, so there was, you know, sawdust all over the place down there. So when he would go to bed at night and I would get our oldest daughter into bed, she was just a little over a year old at the time, I would sneak down into the basement and, and work on that pipe amidst all of the sawdust that was already on the floor. So that's kind of how I hid the whole thing. Um, so, you know, we had the tools. Um, I, I knew how to use them, and um, I don't want to say that it came naturally, but I it came pretty easy. And the patience and everything to actually shape a pipe was uh, not a big problem? Uh, you know... Really not. Um, I have times where I get frustrated, and it's when I try, uh, you know, to push my imagination. Um, I get lost in my own imagination uh, with a free hand, with a blowfish, you know, some complicated shape where you have to have your own plan, and there are no rules. Did you once you once you decided to start really learning about this? Did you get any help from anybody? Oh, that happened just as soon as I finished that first pipe, um, and immediately um, I found uh, Brothers of Briar Forum, and uh, Brian Rowley had posted uh, one of his um, uh, Ramsey's pipes that he does so well, and I, I sent him a private message, and I said, oh my God, I love this pipe, I, you know, I want to learn all about this, I've made one, I'm hooked, and he sent me to the Pipe Makers Forum. Um, and I'm sure you've heard this from quite a few of the pipe makers that you've talked to over the years, but uh, the forum is where I have learned almost everything I know about pipe making, and it is also where I have met pretty much every pipe maker I know. Um, it's a wealth of information, and um, there's no way uh, we as the newer generation of pipe makers can ever thank Tyler enough for starting that. When you take a picture of a pipe and put it up on the forum, are they honest with you about what you could have done or didn't do, or is the critique valid? Absolutely, yes, and was from day one. And I think that might have been um, a couple different reasons those guys are who they are. You know, they don't have kid gloves for anybody. Uh, they don't put up, um, you know, they just really don't pussyfoot around. You know, you're there to learn, you're there to contribute, or they just, you know, just really don't have time for you. A lot of those guys are professional makers. They do that for a living. 
And, you know, if, if you're just there squirreling around, you know, you're not going to get any help. You get into that. You get as much out of that place as you put into it. Uh, so, yeah, ev- everything I've ever been told um, has been extremely valid and helpful uh, for me personally. About how many pipes have you made in the couple of years that you've been making? Um, you know, I, I actually um, I just counted this morning. Um, the one I finished earlier this week um, was the 79th pipe. What happened to the first five or ten pipes? Uh, well, the first ten, I've got a couple laying around here, and the rest are with family members. And can you yourself see the see the difference between uh, the, uh, the difference in quality between the pipes and see where you've learned new new tricks? Oh, absolutely. And is it that dramatic? Yes. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's um, it, it's little nitpicky things, and, and most of it had to do with just developing my eye uh, for the lines of a pipe. In developing your eye, is that something that helps you translate your style into the pipe, or is it trying to find what the pipe wants to be? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. You have to develop your eye, and you have to be able to manipulate your tools in a way to achieve that result. Um, but until you know, looking at a, um, a, a rough-shaped billiard, um, until you know that the line of the billiard should be here, I can see that I need to take this material off you're going to struggle and chase it forever. Um, so it's been, you know, really beneficial to, and my big thing was um, for the first year I would get halfway through a pipe and I would take a picture of it and I would post it on pipe makers form and say, Hey guys, I'm stuck. I think this is what I need to do. Am I headed in the right direction? And um, they would say, yes, no. They take the time to Photoshop stuff. You know, this is what you need to do. Take, Take the material off of here, and it will look so much better, and and all of that stuff, and um, learning how to apply that has really, really helped. Does the same go for the engineering of it? Um, you know, to me, that that part's actually pretty easy. Um, I genetic uh, the the place I grew up. I don't know. Um, I've um, I just always, you know, drilling the holes, getting everything to line up. Uh, that that part, you know, came pretty easy to me. Yeah, I guess hanging out in a body shop where you see dented things come in and they go out straight, that would be kind of easy. Yeah, um, I can still hear a pneumatic tool, and it does not matter where I'm at. <laughs> and it makes me feel like I'm five sitting on a toolbox watching my dad work. <laughs> What was the hardest thing? What was the hardest thing for you to to get with pipe making? I have struggled with design. Give me a, a classic um, shape chart pipe. Mm-hmm. I can make that, no problem. Um, I've made one blowfish to date because I struggle finishing it. I get halfway through it and I get lost. You know, I, I compare it to writer's block. Um, I just kind of, I forget where I wanted to go with it. So for me, that's a, a really, really big struggle. And um, I think it was the 16th or 17th pipe I'd make. Um, it'll be two years ago this upcoming fall. Um, I made this really nice little quarter bent. Uh, I think it was an apple. And I took um, my Dremel and I carved this little decorative band right underneath the stem on the shank. And I was all proud of this pipe, and I posted it on Pipe Maker's Forum, and Rad Davis said one thing to me about that pipe, and it had to do with that carved band, and I've never forgotten that, and I always try to keep it in mind when I go um, to design a pipe or I'm, I'm thinking of doing something to a pipe, and he said, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. <laughs> and that's I really try to keep that in the forefront, you know, when I'm designing a pipe, um, you know, something that's uh, 
my own design, and that's not something I do a lot of. Um, they just, I, I'm not to the point yet where I feel comfortable with the outcome enough to, to let them leave the shop. Where are you getting your briar from, and what are your stems made of? Almost all of my stems are ebonite. I've made a few acrylic stems. Um, ebonite's a lot easier to work with, so I'll stick with it in Cumberland. Um, my briar, um, the last couple years is fringe briar um, that I have been uh, getting through another pipe maker that is kind enough um, to let me, you know, get into his stash. Uh, and it's all stuff that I think he gets from the Chicago show that he, you know, goes to every year and I've never made it to yet. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, more pipe making discussion with Scotty. Stay with us. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. I'm Adam Remington, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. We are back on the Pipes Magazine Radio Show, visiting with pipe maker Scotty Pearsall. All right, quickly, is Scotty your real first name given? Yeah, it is. Okay, cool. I used to tease people, you know, when they would say, is Scotty your real name? I used to, no, no, my name is Scottina, but I just go by Scotty. <laughs> No, my my uh, my given name is Scotty, and uh, just to pass it on, um, our oldest daughter's name is Dylan. And my wife's name is Dale. So, I'm, yeah, imagine being a female Dale in North Carolina, where every other race car driver's name is Dale. <laughs> well, I'm right there with her. Just to irritate her every once in a while, when we're out in the mall, I'll turn to her and I'll say real loud, "Hey, Dale, how's the car going?" <laughs> I get elbowed. Um, the size of your pipes, just because you happen to be a lady, are there standard size and you make some smaller shapes as well? Um, you know, I, I I struggle with this. I actually talked to Primal Chetta about this at the Kansas City show for a while. Um, he told me I need to make bigger pipes, you know. Um, I For some reason, I always end up with like a group two bowl. And I'm in between like five and six inches overall length. Um, anything smaller than that, unless it's like a you know a little pocket billiard or something, or anything larger than that, just doesn't feel right to me. Um, so I will make a bigger pipe if someone asks me to. But if I'm just making pipes, that's you know just kind of where I end up. Well, and at the Kansas City show, a certain Kevin Godby bought a pipe of yours. Yes, he did. Um, I uh, I was really happy to see that one go. I was afraid I was going to have to uh, bring that little billiard home with me and stare at it <laughs> for a while. Um, I, uh, I haven't talked to Kevin since the show, but I hope it's smoking well for him. Um, I think that little billiard sure gave me fits. He's uh, there's somewhere in there. There's a line about Kevin and a little billiard that I just won't jump on. Uh, <laughs> he probably thanks you for that. <laughs> When you smoke a pipe, what kind of what what kind of tobacco do you prefer? 
Uh, Red Virginias. Okay. I think I, I, uh, I started out, you know, like everyone does with the aromatics, and um, I'm trying to think how in the world I got my first tin of 1983 McCraney's Red Ribbon. Uh, but man, is that stuff magical. It fell out of the sky? Yeah, I don't remember if somebody sent me a sample. I, I got on one of the forums and, and asked, you know, um, I'm thinking about making the leap. What do you recommend? And, you know, just randomly someone sends me a box. And and I think there was some of that in that box. And I'm I'm hooked. I've, um, I couldn't tell you the last aromatic blend I bought. Um, you know, pretty much everything in my in my cellar downstairs is some type of Virginia blend. And I'll tell you, this time of the year, I like to have one, maybe two bowls of a straight Virginia, sometimes a, a red or a yellow, depending on what it is. I like that for breakfast, and I always, always grab a group two or group three size pipe. So you're making pipes for the tobacco that you like? Um, I Completely by accident, I think. <laughs> or it just worked out perfectly. Yep. It was accidentally on purpose. Now, besides pipe making, what else keeps you busy? Um, we, My husband owns a landscape company. Um, I answer the phone for him and do the books, and we have three kids. Um, our oldest daughter, Dylan, is four. Our son, Shane, is two and a half. And our youngest daughter, Josephine, just turned one on June 9th. And uh, anyone who was at the Kansas City show last year... Um, she was two weeks old and was in the baby Bjorn, and I carted her around all weekend long at the show. So besides helping, basically running your husband's business for him while he goes out and does the dirty work, and making pipes, you've also got three kids under the age of five. Yes. And, and sleep is not really required yet? Uh, you know, I'm one of those weird people that I work best if I go to bed in between 1 and 2 every morning and get up when the kids get up in between 6 and 7. Um, if I get more sleep than that, I'm, I'm just, I'm done. I just want to sleep the whole, the whole next day. Um, it's genetic, I think. My grandma's that way. I can't remember her not getting by on like 4 or 5 hours of sleep. Wow. Uh, how long is it taking you right now to make a pipe from start to finish? Um, generally in between about six and eight hours, uh, depending one on what it is. Um, there are some shapes um, that I'm a lot faster at. Um, and then, you know, there are some shapes that I, I still, um, it takes me a little longer to dial in. Are there shapes that you prefer to make? Yeah, actually, my two favorite pipes to make are a straight billiard and a prince. Just a classic eighth bent prince, or? I am backwards from most people. Those are the two shapes that came naturally to me. Um, just a, think um, a really traditional Dunhill prince. You know, the, wow. the little itty-bitty bump on the bottom of the bowl. Um, that nice flowing bend in the stem. Uh, it's got to be one of my favorites uh, out of everything I've ever made uh, is the Prince. And you're sandblasting it. You're doing sandblasts and smooth pipes. Where do your pipes start out price-wise? On the low end, um, I'm, I'm 325 um, On the high end, I'm 375 400 and I'm doing commissions right now for for three seventy five. And that's so steadily climbing the ladder. Sandblast and smooth, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have a grading system. I really don't um, think that one finish really deserves a higher price than another right now. Um, you know where I'm at. Um, so sandblasting a pipe and finishing one smooth. Uh, with my sandblasting setup, they take about the same amount of time. So there really is no added time in hand sanding a smooth versus, uh, you know, getting it to 220 grit and then running over and sandblasting it. Um, 
one takes about as long as the other. Um, and, and my wood that I get, uh, this last batch has just been, the ring grains have been phenomenal. Uh, other than my contest pipe that Kevin has, um, I haven't made a smooth pipe in, in months. I, I just can't help it. I have to blast every pipe. The, the ring grain is that nice. <laughs> it looks great. I can't wait to throw a bunch of sand at it. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've got to ask you, because I see on your Facebook page, and I'm kind of jealous of you because I haven't done it yet, but it looks like you're a scuba diving fanatic. Uh, once upon a time, in, in, the, in the before time, in the long, long ago. Yeah, before we had kids, uh, Heath and I, uh, my husband Heath and I used to take uh, uh, a trip to Playa del Carmen in Mexico um, every January. And the first time we went was actually for Christmas. We, you know, abandoned our families and jumped on a plane, and we went and spent like a week in Mexico over Christmas. And while we were down there, um, he was already certified. But he, you know, hey, we're going to do the Discover Scuba thing. I'm going to take you over to Cozumel, and we're going to get in the water. And, you know, they give you like the hour-long crash course. You know, this is how to put the regulator in your mouth and breathe through it. If you lose your goggles underwater, this is how you put them back on and get the water out of them. Okay, here we go. But during that, you know, you're you're in the water right on the coast in Cozumel, and you put your goggles on, you get your regulator in your mouth, and you drop down, and you don't realize that you've been standing in fish. There are fish everywhere, and that's all it took. I was hooked. So as soon as we came home, I found a dive shop here in Kansas City, uh, did all my book work, and then the first week of February that year, Heath and I drove down to Branson, Missouri, to Table Rock Lake. We walked through the snow into the water so that I could get certified. <laughs> how is the lake, uh, how is diving in the lake compared to Cozumel? Uh, muddy and no visibility. Now, At least the uh, the dive instructor that uh, did did my certification dives was kind enough to fill my wetsuit up with hot water before we got in, so I did stay warm. That was the other question I was going to ask. Did the wetsuit keep you warm long enough for you to be in the water? I don't know if it would have had he not put the hot water in it before we started. Do the the wetsuits do insulate you some, but not a not a whole bunch? They help a great deal, but uh, the water uh, was the the water temperature was in the fifties the the day that we did our dives, so it was it was pretty cold. Obviously, since kids, you haven't been back down there that often, but I can't. I mean, what were what's some of the things you've seen diving? Yeah, after that first trip, uh, we went back. Um, three years after that, uh, three years in a row, we actually, uh, we got married down there on the beach, you know, um, great experience. Um, the day of my wedding, uh, Heath got up and him and, a, and, uh, one of our friends, they went scuba diving and me and my best friend went shopping. Um, so it doesn't get much better than that. Um, you know, the turtles night dives, you get to see the octopus, um, uh, eagle rays that are like 12 feet you know, their wingspan is just massive. Um, but I got to say, probably the neatest thing I've ever done, and I will never do it again. Um, the year after we got married, uh, we went down there, and the, the dive shop that we go to all the time, um, they said, you know, there's been a lot of bull sharks in the area. We're going to go out and do a bull shark dive. And basically, you go out 60 feet of water. There is no reef, so it's just sand. So if you don't see a shark, you don't see anything on the dive. And we can't guarantee that you're going to see a shark, but would you like to go? And we said, yeah, we're going to do it. I'm a nervous wreck, the entire boat ride out there. And we get out there, and they say as we're putting all our stuff on and getting ready to jump in the water, okay, so this is how a shark dive works. When you splash in, do not wait and, and, and don't ascend, you know, descend as a group like you normally would. As soon as you hit the water, you get to the bottom as fast as you can. And what we're going to do is we're going to get knees down in the sand with our backs to each other, and we're going to be in a big circle. There's like 10 of us. Well, we get about 30 feet down. I am looking 
15 feet away from me at my husband and a shark swims between us. <laughs> <laughs> I about had a heart attack. And... So I dropped the next 30 feet in like a second and a half. I was on the bottom. And we're down for like 30 minutes. Well, you don't just want to get off the bottom and swim right back up to the surface. You have to swim inland on the bottom until the water's too shallow that the sharks don't want to follow you anymore, and then you go back up to the surface. Well, I didn't realize in my haste to get down to the bottom that I was facing out to sea. Oh, no. So when, when it was time to swim inland, I was the very last one in the pack. And for the life of me, no matter how hard I swam, I could not get in front of anyone else. And the whole time I kept thinking, I only got to be faster than one person, and everyone <laughs> else was faster than me. I was that one person. Um, but for like 30 minutes, we had six bull sharks circling us. And they would come out of the deep water and straight at me and get within three feet and turn, and their fins were within two or three inches of brushing the front of my vest. Um, I, I have some pictures, and I don't know why, you know, with a digital camera, I, I didn't take eight billion pictures, but after about the first five minutes, I was so scared one of them was gonna eat the camera because the flash was gonna scare them, I quit taking pictures. Yeah, or, um, or eat you. <laughs> yeah, um, that was the other thing, that the sucker fish that are on those things, um, I've, I've got long hair. I wear it in a ponytail. Well, my ponytail floats in the water. And we had been down about three minutes. Sharks were just starting to circle, and one of those sucker fish came up from behind me and grabbed my ponytail hard enough to move my head about three feet to the side. <laughs> I have never screamed so loud in my life, and no one heard me because we were underwater. I knew I had I had been eaten by a shark. That was it. It was over. And it was one of those fish sucking my hair. <laughs> so, so, so you were getting groomed underwater while... Yes. Maybe he was cleaning you up for one of his shark friends to come over and eat you. Scariest thing I have ever done. Uh, yeah. Night dive do not hold a candle to having those sharks circling you. It is just outrageous. Uh, how big were these sharks? Um, they were big, 10, 12 feet, 600 pounds, big females. Yeah, okay. Uh, what's the deepest you can go in a, in a scuba setup? Uh, recreational divers, um, 100 and, what is it, 130 feet uh, is, is the limit. 130, 160 feet, something like that is the limit for a recreational diver. Um, and I have my advanced card, so I can go that deep. Um, the deepest I have ever been um, was in Playa del Carmen as well. We went out to the continental shelf, and we were down at like 125 feet. All right, I got to ask because I've never—I'm a snorkeler, so there's my there's my advanced. I'm really good at floating and looking down. Do do you feel it? Do you feel the pressure in your ears and your nose when you go down that far? I do. I've had problems before, so I know personally if I'm going to dive, I need to take a Sudafed before we go um, so that I don't have any problems. Um, I have before uh, gotten halfway through a dive, um, and luckily we were at Mermit Springs in Illinois. We, we weren't in the ocean. Um, I was down about 40 feet, and my ears started hurting, but I was having sinus problems at the time. So ever since then, um, I take a Sudafed the morning of, and, and I'm good to go. You know, you got to pop your ears a couple times on the way down, depending on how deep you're going, and you're good. Wow. All right, I'm jealous, so we'll wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yep. What's your favorite pipe? I don't think I have one yet. And what's your favorite tobacco? McCraney's 1983 Red Ribbon. And what is your favorite drink? Captain and Coke. Ooh, tropical. Um, when, when it's time to relax, which I don't think you do, is it a book, a movie, or music? A book. Any particular genre? I read romance novels. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one overly girly thing I do. I, yeah. 
<laughs> and tonight we'll put a picture of Fabio on the radio show for you. Uh, yeah, just that'd kidding. Be great. Yeah. And finally, any particular, particularly favorite pipe smoking memory? I'm going to say it, it had to have been uh, sitting out in the smoking tent uh, over the weekend at the Kansas City show this year. Uh, generally, when I smoke a pipe, it's, you know, while I work on a pipe out here in the middle of the night by myself, and um, I can't tell you how enjoyable it was just to sit around and, and smoke a pipe and, and talk with everyone the entire weekend um, of the show. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to being able to hit a few more shows and, and experience that again. And if you want to see Scotty's Pipes, the website is ladybriar.com, L-A-D-Y-B-R-I-A-R.com. Scotty, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for joining us. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco. Founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corn cob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. We are back, and if I was a little tired before hearing about the sharks, that certainly uh, perked me up a little bit. Um, nice to nice to hear pipe makers talking about the classic shapes. That's all I got to say about that. Uh, for music. Going to uh, two guys that know their way around the guitar. One of them, Chet Atkins, in particular, a pipe smoker. The other one, well, guitar hero named Les Paul. This is a medley, and it's called Moonglow and Picnic, and I really like oh, this. Right. Whatever key you want, I don't well, if we started like you do, uh, a little thing like, and I'll do. I'll go. Stop. Well, it goes right in. Okay, listen to this for an intro. That's a cool. Right where one is.
Again, that is called a it's a medley called Moonglow and Picnic. It's the theme from the movie Picnic. The album is called Chester and Lester. Yeah, Chad Atkins and Les Paul. Sweet merciful crap. Thank you, Homer. And in the mailbag, let's get caught up on a whole bunch of stuff. So going back a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Mr. Jerky says, kudos for having Jim on the show. I've often wondered how many bowls he was smoking per day as I can never keep up with him on the what are you smoking thread. Yeah, I couldn't. Wow. I mean, that many bowls? Um, Even on my heaviest days, he is definitely a heavyweight when it comes to tobacco reviews. His opinion guides the masses. Also couldn't agree more on the Argosy staff. It's not easy to build a culture of caring in a business, and they've done that just. Uh, highly recommend and uh, already looking forward to staying there next for next year's show. Uh, Voorhees writes, great interview. Found Jim's story about the cigarette smoker asking him to put out his pipe while he smoked his cigs. Humorous. Never had the experience, but seriously, cigs smell so bad compared to pipe tobacco. Uh, PJ Hicks writes, Gotta love old-time radio. Relic Radio, R-E-L-I-C-R-A-D-I-O, is my favorite place to go for Orson Welles. The Horror, Nero Wolf, and so many more classics. Even in the many hours I've listened to old-time radio, never heard anything like Lonesome Gal. Maybe there's a reason. <laughs> that was really kind of creepy, uh, but good creepy. Uh, the interview with Mr. Uh, with Mr. Amish was interesting. I didn't realize that in the computer age, so much of comics would still be done by hand. Also, now I want to retry Three Nuns. Thanks. Enjoy your vacation. I did. Uh... Casey Ghost, a wonderful show. I found the interview very interesting. His discussion of comics was really informative. You wouldn't think drawing a comic would be that difficult. His discussion of Three Nuns was right on the mark. Really enjoyed that. Great seeing you in Kansas City. The brick bit you did at the banquet still has people laughing. Well, all but one person. And uh, Trail Boss says, That was a great interview. I always assumed that cartoons and comics were the complete work of a single individual. Although knowing a bit about Charles Schultz's work ethic, uh, I think I read that one already. Um, going forward, let's see. Connell J.M. writes, Likewise, really enjoyed part one. Very interesting. Uh, five days ago, Cosmic Folklore wrote, I love the show. Wow, I just realized that I've listened to 95 hours of Brian. That's over four days. We should get levels, like in karate. I want my black belt and pipe smoking, haha. Or, sorry, you can't get the brain cells back. Uh, Riff Raff writes, I have relied a lot on Jim's reviews of tobaccos. His experience and insights are, are valuable to the whole community. His one-man crusade to preserve the Edward G. Robinson blend is amazing. It just goes to show you what one person can accomplish if he or she is passionate about it. I would say that he would be a good candidate for the Doctor of Pipes nomination. Uh, Riff Raff goes on to say there is going to be a second run on Eddie G now, as well as White Knight and Royal Blend. I know I'm going to buy some. Jim is one of the few I trust in his assessments of quality tobacco. It is fascinating that Alfred Dunhill was such an inventive guy. Of course, great minds are rarely idle. It stands to reason that he was always looking to make things that would improve our tobacco enjoyment. Another quality show, gents. Um, let's see. Going forward, episode 94. John Seiler writes, Hi, Brian. It's Tuesday, and I didn't forget to tune in on the new day of the week. Yay, John. Okay, on the slow light, but then again, I puff like a steam engine. Glad to hear the second part of the Mike Butera interview. I would have liked to hear a bit more about the Butera Royal Vintage Tobacco Series, especially the Dark Stoved. The Royal Tobacco, or the Royal Vintage Series are great. The Virginias are excellent. I even like the Latakia Number no. 1 when I smoke that type of tobacco. 
Breakaway was great. I do like Dan's music. Rant Frequent Flyer Miles are not uh, not all as great as they seem. Good show. Hope you have a great vacation. And uh, I did get a tip from John. The more he writes about an episode, the more he likes the episode. So let's see what John said about last week's show. Hi, Brian. Glad you had a nice vacation. Alfred Dunhill was quite the inventor. Jim Amish's tobacco reviews is a great way to give back to the pipe community. His description on how different tobaccos age fits my experience. The Edward G. Robinson pipe tobacco story was great. Great interview. Rant friends, followers of St. Claude. I like it. Great idea. Keep up the great work now that you are back. And I'm going away again next week. Um... Neverbend said, I really enjoyed both installments of your interview with Jim, a very interesting guy with enduring passions in many venues. You did a great job with uh, did a great job with the show and your questions seemed to bring out the best in Jim who is very fluid, enjoyable to listen to and a great guest. I'm looking forward to the next time that he's on your show. Uh Jim is exceedingly fluid and very easy to uh very easy to talk to. Uh, Jay Smokes Pipes. Welcome back, Brian. Another great show with Jim Inks. I admire Jim and all his accomplishments, especially with the pipe community. I'll be on the lookout for some of the E.G. Robinson blunt tobacco just for you, Jim. It was also nice to hear Jim Inks talk so positively about the Sutliff Tobacco Company because I recently began smoking some of their blends, and I'm very impressed with them happy smoking and coincidentally we also got an email and i'm pulling it up right here and it's a contact from jay so i wonder if it might not be the same person it says kevin or brian please find a copy of the email i sent to sutliff tobacco and thanks for another great show last night with jim inks thanks for reading my email on air last night too that was cool no need to read this one though thanks Uh, What I thought was cool about this was that here's what Jay wrote. Uh, Hello, I'd like to take a moment to reach out to you in regards to a couple of things. First, I would like to say thank you for supporting the Pipes Magazine radio show. I'm an avid listener of the program. Secondly, your ads for Molta Dolce finally convinced me to try it today. And wow, is it a great aromatic. Probably one of my favorites thus far. That being said, I paid over $17 for a tin in Rhode Island, mostly due to taxes, but was wondering if it is or will be available in bulk, and if you have any coupons to purchase more of this blend. Thanks for also supporting the pipe community. I consider myself a younger pipe smoker, solely pipes, and I vote, so I hope I can do my part. Happy smoking, Jay. Uh, Jay, you have no idea how much letters like that for us manufacturers and suppliers, how much those letters mean, they go a long way. Uh, two more, and then we should be all caught up. Uh, Dino says from last week, Hi Brian, it was sure worth the wait to hear the conclusion of your conversation with Jim. I fully enjoyed the explication of his method in reviewing tobacco. His story of the further adventure of Edward G. Robinson tobacco was amazing. The blend was in my regular rotation back in the 60s and 70s. I can't remember what the original stuff tasted like. I personally think anyone who claims he remembers what an old blend tastes like is full of doddle. But I know that I really enjoyed it. I still have a pouch from the 80s and one from the late 90s. Both still taste good and are very similar. And like Proust's Madeleine cookie, flash me back to my college days whenever I light up a pinch or two in Jim's honor. And for his nice work for the community, I'm going to order some more. And last but not least, Johnny Labrizzi. I hope I pronounced that right. Sent in a message on Facebook. Just want to let you know how I have been listening to your radio shows and quite like them. I have some catching up to do. I'm at episode 52 Just a little high from Montreal, Canada. Always love hearing from you. Hey, let us know where you're listening to. Love hearing that. All right, in just a minute, rant time.
Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeerschaumStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeerschaumStore.com, the most trusted Meerschaum store for 50 years. About five years ago, any movie that was going to show people smoking, any movie that showed people smoking in it, any TV show that showed people smoking in it, was going to be rated R. No children under the age of 17. Rated R automatically just because it depicted smoking in it. Broadcast TV, no more smoking in it, period. You have to go all the way to the cable channels, and then it's only the pay channels that you can get smoking on. Well, now you fast forward. This little radio show that we do, we were advised and counseled that because we talk about smoking, that we should announce that this is an adult-only, 18-and-over-only show, and don't listen to it if you're not of the smoking age. Well, now, I watch these videos that, that flip by on my Facebook feed, and every once in a while it pops over to YouTube, and nine times out of ten, some of these accidents or fights that you see on video, they show up in a convenience store or gas station parking lot, and I just got done watching one yesterday of a Miami police officer getting into a fight with another Miami police officer, and the broadcast news froze on a price sign for Marlboro. They should have fuzzed that out. Automatically, block it out. If it's what's fair is fair. If you don't want to show tobacco on TV in case the children might get the idea, well, then fuzz it out. YouTube, block it out. Facebook, block it out. News channels that are out reporting, if you get a video that shows a tobacco product in there, block it out. Half the time when you watch these fights or whatever, these these uh, outrageous scenes out on the streets, there's somebody smoking in the background. Block it out. You have the ability to do it. Block it out. Even Google, if you remember, fuzzed out the cigar store Indian's face because they thought it was a person. Well, maybe it was tobacco related. But anyway, there you go. Block it out. That's what I've got to say about that. And that wraps up tonight's show, and today celebrates for me uh, 24 years since I've been institutionalized. Yeah, 24 years ago today we uh, entered the institution of marriage, so I'm running home to uh, you know, flowers and a TV show. That'd be about it. Well, maybe we'll go out and have dinner. I don't know. But uh, flowers and a TV show at least, and then some dinner. Anyway, uh, marriage is an institution. I'm happily uh, institutionalized. Next week, I'll be in Las Vegas, so next week's show will be 100% pre-recorded. However, I will tell you right now, got a big announcement in next week's show, so you'll want to tune in and hear that. And I haven't even told Kevin what it is yet. So, everybody, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to uh, Scotty for joining me. Thank you to the fine folks at the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time, 
You'll come for the entertainment, but you'll stay for the canned ham giveaway. <laughs> 